Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Luke. If this is your very first time, again, welcome. So happy that you're here. So, house groups. Um, So we got the family group that Jason talked about. If you're even a little bit interested, I highly recommend you to check it out. Also, our two newest house groups here at Vineyard Northwest are right here in Colerain. One is on Dry Ridge Road. If you live in Colerain, that means something to you. If not, sorry, but we have information in the atrium. And then there's another one on Springdale Road. And these two, all of the groups that we have that we call house groups are pretty, we would say that any, anyone of any age is welcome. But these two groups actually have the most diverse age range. So anybody would feel comfortable going to either of these groups. And I want to tell you all that here's why these groups are so powerful. If you are coming to church here and you're longing, I would like to have deeper interaction with some people. Like I would actually like to meet someone and actually start to maybe make some friendships. These groups are perfect for you to go to, but... There are enough people and enough new people coming to these groups that it is very unlikely you'll be the only new person there when you attend. So when, seriously, there are just about every single week new people coming to these groups. And when there is a week where there's not a new person, there's people that have only been there one time or two times or three times. So if you go, you're not going to stick out like a sore thumb and be the only new person. There's going to be a lot of people in that same boat with you. So I highly recommend all of, all, of, all of the house groups. If you are interested in that kind of a community experience, there's information in the atrium for you to check out. So diving into continuing with power outside the walls. You know, we human beings find a lot to divide over, don't we? We find a lot to disagree on and then say, you're over here and I'm over here. We're divided. But There are some things, I'm sure you'd agree with me, that universally human beings can admire and respect. You know, one of those would be when someone risks their life for the sake of others. Just about any story we read where one person is risking their life and they're under no obligation to do so, but they're risking their life to save someone else. We all can pretty much universally appreciate that. You know, the Las Vegas shootings seems like, you know, it's hard, time is crazy, but there's only two weeks ago. And it's interesting when something like that happens, when something traumatic and terrible like that happens, it kind of dominates our attention and our thoughts for a couple of days, but then it's like back to life as usual for those that weren't affected, you know. But only two weeks ago is when that happened, and Um, Speaking of stories of someone acting heroically and risking their life to save others, I just wanted to read you all a story that I read. This is a 30-year-old man named Jonathan Smith who um, acted really heroically during that event. So let me read you this story. Jonathan Smith was at the Route 91 Harvest Festival to celebrate his brother's 43rd birthday. He was a copy machine repairman from Orange County, California, and he initially thought he was hearing fireworks as Jason Aldean finished his song. But when the country singer ran off the stage, the music stopped and the lights went out, it was clear what was really happening. In the stampede of fleeing concertgoers that followed, Smith ended up separated from all nine of his accompanying family members. 
but still did his best to corral groups of terrified people and usher them to safe hiding places. Active shooter, active shooter, let's go, we have to run, he repeatedly shouted. When he stood up to urge a group of young girls to get on the ground, a bullet struck him in the neck. An off-duty San Diego police officer helped to stop his bleeding until help arrived. Though Smith thankfully survived, as did his entire family, he may have to live with a bullet in the side of his neck for the rest of his life, as doctors feared further injury if they tried to displace it. I would want someone to do the same for me. No one deserves to lose a life coming to a country festival, Smith told the Washington Post. In all, Jonathan escorted 30 people to safety. There's something about a story where someone risks their life under no obligation to do so, but willingly choosing to put the needs of others above their own needs that really strikes a chord with us. It's an act of heroism. It's an act of empathy. And we look at that kind of a thing and we say, I wonder if I would have done the same thing had I been in his situation. Now here's the thing. There are horrible, traumatic tragedies like the Las Vegas shooting that happen in our world. And I pray that no one in this room ever has to be a part of one of those. But if we are, I think the question we're going to be asking ourselves is, am I going to respond in fear or am I going to be the one who risks myself for the sake of others? I hope that none of you ever are in a situation like that. But let me tell you all, day after day in your daily lives, there's an even more imminent danger around the people that you're interacting with. And it's that every day we find ourselves surrounded by people who are outside of relationship with the Father. And bullets might not be coming their way right now, but I guarantee you that there are people that we walk by every day who are living in hell right now. And the thing is, is that if you are in this room and you have a relationship with God, and real quick, if you're here and maybe you're newer or you haven't decided to step across the line yet and make the decision to follow Jesus, if you're still just kind of figuring things out, hey, super glad that you're here. Thanks for being here. And I, I just want to take a second, though, to talk to the people in this room who have made that decision to follow Jesus. And I want you to think about something. Do you really believe that there is a worse danger than bullets that is coming after the people in, that you're surrounded with every single day? Like, do you, is, that, is that something that you actually believe? Because whether you believe it or not, it is true that there are people around us that are living in hell and they're on their way to hell. And we have the answer. We have the hope that they need. In us, we have the message of joy and love and truth they need. And for us, what it looks like to act heroically and step outside of our own comfort zone, what it looks like for us to put our needs on hold and to look at their needs, it isn't life or death. I mean, sometimes in other countries it is. It's not life or death. It's not even at risk of physical violence. You know what it is? It's at risk at looking foolish, 
You know, there are people who jump in, into dangerous situations and face all kinds of, of obstacles and they do it for, to save people's physical lives. What are we doing to, to save the, um, people's spiritual lives around us? You know, there are plenty of people at this church who have made a habit of not being content with doing nothing while the people around them are um, living in hell. You know, there's some people that text me just this weekend. Um, There are a number of us who want to be more intentional about sharing what God has done in us with the people at our work, with our family, with anyone we come into contact with. And so we have a group message. Um, We all have, most of us have iPhones. If you don't got an iPhone, you can't be in it because we all know that uh, no one wants that, no one wants to have green messages on their phone. But um, just, I'm I'm, I'm kidding, you guys know that, right? But anyways, a couple of us, we have a group message text message where we just to encourage each other we sh- whenever we go out and we do an act of evangelism we send each other a text and say hey I got to pray for this person or hey I got to share the gospel with this person and so just this weekend I'm looking at at my phone and um, story from Friday friend said hey I prayed for people at Walmart last night there was a man whose arm was in a cast and after I prayed for him after I prayed for him his uh, all of his pain was totally gone so that was awesome. And then another person was like, wow, that's awesome. Uh, today, I shared an accurate word of knowledge with someone, which if you don't know what a word of knowledge is, I'm going to define it later, so don't worry. But I shared an accurate word of knowledge with someone, and they were super weirded out about how accurate it was. So that was cool. And then, hey, we went to Tri-County Mall. Uh, this was yesterday. And it was incredible. So many accurate words of knowledge. Um, accurate and uh, prophetic words were really blessing people so that was cool then this morning I got a story from a friend and he said hey Luke at a wedding tonight I talked for 30 minutes with one of my wife's old friends from high school who used to be Catholic but now isn't following Jesus anymore um, I, I, uh, I got to pray for him for all kinds of stuff afterwards I asked if he felt anything and he laughed and said yes I've never felt that feeling before. I felt very calm and warm, like I was being wrapped up in a warm blanket out of the dryer. <laughs> yeah, I don't really understand what to think right now. And my friend said, I told him that he was feeling the Holy Spirit, and I suggested to him to keep praying to God and to continue to seek him. This all just happened this weekend. And by no means am I the keeper of all of the testimonies of people stepping out and doing this kind of thing. There are probably so many more that I'm not even aware of. And so it's really cool. Like this church specifically, we have this calling on us to not just be people that come into this room and have a really meaningful, powerful interaction with God, but to come in this room, have that meaningful, powerful interaction with God, and then take it to the people out in our communities, our families, our coworkers, random strangers we've never even met. That is a call that is on this church. And so the term that I've kind of been skirting around, which I wanted to find now, is the term power evangelism, okay? What I'm talking about in these stories of these people that were praying for their friends or for strangers, 
what I'm talking about is power evangelism. So here's, what, here's how I define power evangelism. Power evangelism is relying on the power of God to compel people to decide to enter into a relationship with God. It's relying on the power of God. You see, evangelism is simply sharing the good news of Jesus with people in hopes that they would decide to enter into a relationship with God. Power evangelism is when the thing we're relying on to hopefully compel people to make that decision is the power of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes this. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Our message isn't wise words or superiority of speech. It is a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, I used to be, I used to have the attitude and mentality towards evangelism that I need to come up with the most convincing way possible to share about my faith and about Jesus. When I'm talking to someone who hasn't made the decision yet to follow God, it's, if I can just say convincing enough words to them, they might decide to do it. But truth is, everybody, if all it takes is a good argument to get someone to follow God, all it's going to take is a good argument to get them to stop following God. Good arguments, they have their place. Apologetics is a ministry that focuses on logical, rational arguments for the existence of God. It is amazing. Um, I, I have nothing bad to say about it. But what I do want to say is that as I read through the scriptures, I am personally convinced that our default approach to doing evangelism is to not focus so much on what we're saying, but to offer people a demonstration of the Spirit's power. For example, say that I started selling vacuum cleaners door to door, okay? I show up to a neighborhood and I make it my goal, I want to visit 10 houses and really see how many people I can convince to buy this vacuum cleaner. So I knock on the door, someone answers, and I say, hey, I've got this state-of-the-art vacuum cleaner here. Here are all the special features of it. It is the best vacuum cleaner you ever will own in your whole life. Technology is done advancing. It's stopping right here. And I just really lay it on them, right? And then I say, okay, so do you want to buy it? What am I missing? I'm missing the demonstration. You see, I could talk for 30 minutes and talk up this vacuum cleaner, assuming the person would hear me out for that long. I could talk for a half hour and offer my best rhetoric. But you know what? That 20 seconds of that vacuum cleaner getting some dirt that their other vacuum cleaner couldn't get is more powerful. It is exponentially more powerful than anything that I could say. And the same is true when it comes to evangelism. 
We're telling people, we have the answer to all of your problems. Every bit of brokenness in your life can be healed by God. The love of God can come and wash away all of your shame. It can push out all of your fear and anxiety. We're saying that. And they're like, so do you want it? We're missing the demonstration. We are missing saying, hey, and if you want it, I can pray for you right now, and God's going to show up. It's a demonstration of the Spirit's power that compels people into relationship with God. So I want to share some practical examples with all of you now on what power evangelism looks like. So first one is this. Power evangelism looks like praying right now for someone. Right now is huge. A lot of times when I'm out and I ask someone, hey, could I pray for you for this? Like, oh yeah, that'd be great. Do that. And they start walking away. Like, no, can I pray right now? Like, you want to pray right now? What? And I think it's telling that people are taken aback by the fact that we want to pray right now. And here's why. Somehow, I don't know how this got into the minds of both the world and the church, but it seems like there's a pervasive mindset in all people that you shouldn't really expect anything to happen when somebody prays. Prayer is something you do to comfort somebody. You know, to, oh, just know I'm praying for you. I'm with you, I love you, I support you. But for some reason, we tend to not expect things to happen when we pray. But when we look in the New Testament, it seems like Jesus and the disciples and the apostles all expected things to happen when they prayed. And so a cool thing that we get to be a part of as a church is reversing that bad mentality about prayer. Every time you go out and you pray for someone, even if they just say, wow, I feel peace, what's happening there is prayer is going from this vague, supportive gesture to God showing up right now. So practical example, praying right now. Second one would be praying for healing. This is another uh, practical example of doing power evangelism. We're going to talk, I was recently in Zimbabwe, Africa, for a couple weeks. I've been back now for one week. Um, And we're going to share more about it next week, a lot more. But I'll share with you this one story. We were going around the community of one of where one of their uh, house groups were. And we're doing this very thing, doing power evangelism. And so I walk up to these two older men, and I feel like God told me that they had pain in their, one of them had pain in their neck. So I asked them, hey, do either of you have pain in your neck? And they both said no. So I was wrong on that one. But turns out they had pain in their legs. And so I was like, well, I didn't hear God right, but I'm still going to pray for you because it's not going to stop me from praying for you. So I asked them if I could pray for them. They said yes. I pray for the first guy just that in Jesus' name, all of the pain from his legs would be gone and he'd be healed. And I ask him to, after I pray, see if anything changed. Now, pause button real quick. When we are praying for people, in, especially people we don't know, and they have some kind of a physical ailment, and then we ask them, hey, like, can you test it out? The last thing we want to do is pressure people to like, move a part of their body that's in pain and risk actually injuring whatever it is more. We can have faith 
that God is going to do something in their body right now without like coercing them to do something that they're not comfortable with. So the last thing we ever want to do is when we're praying for people we don't know, pressure them into like moving a part of their body. But we can say, hey, if it's not too much and without hurting yourself, do you want to see if anything's changed? And so I asked him to do that. And so he kind of moved his legs. I was like, oh, no, he like winced in pain. No, I'm still in pain. So I asked him if I could pray a second time. He agreed. So I prayed a second time. This time, he bent all the way down and came up and was smiling and said, all of the pain, 100% of it is totally gone. So I was like, praise God. And then I asked him, hey, have you ever been born again? And I was expecting him to say yes. He was actually the only person that I ever talked to in all of Zimbabwe who said no. Because Zimbabwe is a Christian nation. It was colonized by the UK during the period of imperialization. And so most people there would call themselves Christian, kind of like here. Um, Actually, more than here. But he said, no, I've never been born again. And so I asked him, well, explained to him everything. Do you want to accept, do you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus now? And he said, yeah, I think I do. And so one of the guys that was with me, led this man who was in his 60s or 70s who had never entered into a relationship with God before into a relationship with God for the very first time. So, yeah, that's, that's just an example of how this power evangelism stuff works. Now, one thing I want to address while we're talking about healing. When I first came to this church and when I first kind of got involved in the Vineyard Movement, one thing that really stuck out to me is, man, these people talk about physical healing a lot. And I was thinking, like, why is this so focused on? This seems to be such, like, a minute issue. Like, aren't we worried about people's salvation? Aren't we worried about people um, getting into a relationship with God and, and forgiveness and, and the people's marriages? Like, why are we so focused on physical healing? And so it was a little strange for me. And maybe you have experience that kind of a thought too after some of you that have been here for a little while maybe some of you have been here for a long time and so here's what I want to say about that when God heals somebody it's not because he just every once in a while decides he wants to do something nice primarily it's even the reason he heals is even not to get people to say yes to him that's not the main reason God heals The main reason that God heals people is because God is a healer at his nature. The character of God is to heal. The nature of God is a healer. And so when we are interacting with people, we ask ourselves a question, how do we show them that God is a healer? You know, if I'm I'm talking to the person who's ringing me out at Target, I've got like two minutes with them. How can I show them, hey, there's a God and he is a healer? See, God is a healer in all senses. He heals physically, but he heals emotionally. And God heals us spiritually. He heals us from the sin disease that has kept us out of relationship with him. God's desire is to heal us holistically, every part of our lives. But when I'm standing with that attendant at Target, I got two minutes with him or her. How am I going to show them that God is a healer? What's the best way for me to do that? Is it going to be, hey, 
would you be interested in spending the next two years with me while I walk you through a healing process on how to heal from those wounds you've had since you were a kid in your heart? Is that going to (laughs) work? No, right? They're going to be like, you're weird. Get away from me, weird (laughs) Christian, right? People sometimes call doing power evangelism weird. That is weird. No, I'm not going to be able to get them to, you know, that kind of heart healing that needs to come. That is just as important as physical, as physical healing. But how am I going to use my two minutes with them to show them that God is a healer? I'm going to say, hey, do you have any pain in your body? And when they get healed, this is what I learned from a guy named Robbie Dawkins. Here's what you say to them. God just healed your body because he wants you to allow him to heal the rest of your life. And that's what I always say to people when I pray for them to get healed. This is not about having like a story to tell and wow a crowd. This is not about, oh, look what I did. Look at or it's not even about getting excited for the faith. You know, this is about, hey, God just healed this part of you to show you that he wants to and can heal the rest of you if you let him. God is a healer. Another reason why we really focus on, on uh, the ministry of healing would come out of Matthew 4, 23 verses, uh, Matthew 4, verses 23 through 25. Here's what it says. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. You know that if you look through all the content of the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you look through all four of them, 25% of the content has to do with Jesus doing physical healing. 25% of it. And countless areas in in the word, not just the one I just read, Jesus' ministry is described as proclaiming the gospel, teaching in synagogues, and healing every disease and every sickness among the people. The ministry of Jesus, healing wasn't just a nice thing that he did, it was core to his ministry, and the reason is because he was revealing the nature of God as a healer. And so... If healing was core to the ministry of Jesus, shouldn't it be core to the ministry of the church? You see, Jesus said to his disciples, hey guys, it is actually better for you if I go away and I send you the Holy Spirit to empower you to continue my ministry than if I were to continue my ministry myself. Think about that one for a second. Mull on that in your theological mind. Jesus said, it's better that I go and you guys do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, we see immediate proof of that. In the beginning of the book of Acts, after Jesus has been gone for about 40 days and the power of the Holy Spirit comes, Peter stands up, says, hey, everyone, this demonstration of the Spirit's power is this, and this is what it means for you. And 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. You know how many disciples Jesus made? 120. Peter makes 15 times the amount that Jesus made in one sermon. 
What does that tell us? That tells us that Jesus leaving and us being empowered to do the things that he was doing is how it always was meant to, to be. So we're continuing the ministry of Jesus as we press into physical healing. A third way, and remember, we're in a list right now on practical examples of power evangelism. A third way, so we got praying for right now for someone, we got praying for healing, and then we got praying for someone to be filled with the Spirit, or praying for someone to experience God's presence. You might meet someone who doesn't have any physical pain, but they're like, man, I'm just feeling really anxious. Or your neighbor might come over for dinner and they might tell you, no, I'm just really afraid about this. And it's so simple, but you just say, hey, would you be okay if I just said a prayer for you to experience God's peace? And if they agree, you say, in Jesus' name, I just release the peace of God to you. Father, just come and fill them with your peace. Amen. It can be as simple as that. And you know what? Two things were going to happen. Either one, the person's going to be like, thank you. I don't feel any different, but thank you. Secondly, they're going to say, wow, I actually do feel more peace. That's crazy. It feels like a warm blanket is on me. And you know what? Even if the first happens, that person's going to leave thinking, wow, they actually care about me enough to stop and to kind of make themselves look a little silly and pray for me. You see, with power evangelism, um, our default approach is demonstrating the Spirit's power to compel someone to enter into a relationship with God. But as we do that, if our motivation is anything other than love for the people and love for God, it's worthless. Paul said, you can have so much faith that you move a mountain. You can have all prophetic insight. But if you don't have love, it's nothing. And the same is true for when we're engaging in power evangelism, that if we don't have love, it's all for nothing. And so we can pray for someone to be filled with the Spirit. Fourth, we can share a prophetic word or a word of knowledge. I promise I would define these. I'll define them now. A word of knowledge is when we become aware of a fact about a person's life that we couldn't have known by natural means. So it's not like you see someone on crutches and you're like, hey, I have a word of knowledge that you might have pain in your legs, you know? It's not like that. I, had a, uh, I have a friend who one time we were at a restaurant and he had a word of knowledge for our server that she had recently, got, like in the last three months, gotten a tattoo with one of her siblings and that, that her relationship with that sibling was on the rocks. And... She, her jaw dropped when she heard that. She's like, yeah, that is true. And then we asked her, have you ever accepted Jesus? She said, no. Do you want to? Yeah. She accepted Christ right there on the spot. This is how it works, guys. This is, it's so simple. It's so much, it's so much less pressure than going into, okay, what am I going to say to get them to believe what I believe? It's so much simpler than that. It's simply, hey, I am going to, in a heart of love, show you all the stuff that Christians in the church have been trying to tell you. <clears throat> and so that's a word of knowledge. A prophetic word is when God gives you a message for somebody. Like, hey, tell that person I love them. Tell that person I'm proud of them. Tell that person that they are my prized possession. 
And notice I'm using all encouraging and building up and strengthening phrases. That's because New Testament prophecy is, Paul makes it very clear, is for encouragement, strengthening, and building up. I do not recommend reading Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel if you want to learn how to prophesy. (laughs) People probably won't like you. They didn't like them. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, that, that was for a purpose in God's plan to bring about Jesus. But now that Jesus has come and the Holy Spirit has been poured out, prophecy is, has the purpose of building up, encouraging, and strengthening. And then a fifth practical example, other. Because we can't put the power of God in a box. For example, this is kind of a funny story. When I was living with Van and Lori a number of years ago, I got a call from a telemarketer, and this telemarketer was wanting to sell me ED medicine. And so, usually I just hang up, did you hear that? Like erectile dysfunction, okay? <laughs> In case you didn't get that. Um, so I, I was single at the time, you know, I didn't, had no use for that for multiple reasons. But, um, <laughs> but I was tempted just to hang up, you know, but I felt like God was prompting me like, hey Luke, stay on the line with this person. So I was like, okay. So I stay on the line with him, and I tell him, hey, sorry, you know, I, I just don't have any need for that. And he's like, whoa, can I sell you this? I'm like, oh, I don't need that either. And then I was like, hey, wait a second, can I ask you a question? And he's kind of like, yeah, sure. I'm like, is there anything that you could use prayer for right now? And he said, well, you know, I'm feeling kind of cold right now. And I was just like, okay, cold. I've never heard a sermon on cold. <laughs> Is there anything in here about cold? <laughs> um, so I was, I was tempted to be like, is there anything else you want prayer for? But I just kind of felt like this boldness rise up in me. And I was like, well, okay. Can I pray that God will warm me up? And, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I guess. And so I just said, in Jesus' name, be warmed up. Amen. <laughs> and then I asked him, like, so, like, are you feeling any warmer? He's like, you know what? I actually am not cold anymore. (laughs) I actually have been warmed up. And then I kind of like did the spiel. I was like, hey, God just warmed you up because he wants to warm up the rest of your life if you will will allow him. (laughs) And uh, so I was just like blown. I was like, what? Really? I can't believe that. And, And then he said to me, sir, can I tell you something? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he said, no one has ever treated me like a human being. In all the years that I have been making these calls, not one person has taken the time to talk to me. And he's like, you just made my day. Thank you so much. And yeah, it was powerful. I was blown away. And, and I think that really is at the heart of this stuff, is that um, people are... They're just shocked when someone that they don't know expresses care for them. Now, one of the misconceptions of power evangelism is that it has to be for someone you don't know. It doesn't. You can do power evangelism to your family, to your neighbors. In fact, it's interesting. Like For me, the idea of going to one of my unsaved family members and ask if I can pray for them is actually a whole lot more intimidating for me personally than going to pray for someone at uh, a restaurant. 
And so if, you know, if you are getting, if you're like, I want to go back to the story real quick. If this is like something that is new for you and you want to start stepping into it, telemarketers is a great way. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Cause they're calling you. And if you ask them, if you can, and if you say, Hey, can I ask you a question? They're going to think, Oh my gosh, I might get one. You know? <laughs> Another one that works really well. I remember one time, uh, for a staff meeting, Wilson, one of the pastors here, had us all go out two by two and pray for people in Coleraine. And I was going out with uh, Micah Turnbow. And both of us were like, do you really feel like doing evangelism? It's like, I don't. I'm like, I don't either. And so I was like, I got this idea. What if we went to a couple of drive throughs And drive throughs are perfect, everybody. If, you, if, you're, if you're like nervous about it, drive throughs are perfect. And it's because, one, the person has to interact with you. Okay. Two, they have to be nice to you. And three, if you get it like way off, you can just drive away. It's like a quick exit, you know? You can bolt. So uh, Mike and I did that. And actually, uh, one, uh, one of the, um, at Tim Hortons, Starbucks, nothing happened, but Tim Hortons, she got healed. So I don't know what that means. But <clears throat> um, so yeah, other you know, we don't want to put the power of God in a box. So power, when the, all these things that I'm listing off for you, they are descriptive, not prescriptive. They are things that you could expect to happen, but they are not it, by no means the totality of what is going to happen. So I already shared one misconception about power evangelism. I want to share a second one, and then I want to end with a third one. So the first misconception is this. The power of God isn't active in other methods of evangelism. We don't want to communicate that, hey, we're doing power evangelism. Our evangelism has the power of God. Any others doesn't. You see, when a person makes the decision to follow Jesus, the power of God is at the center of that, no matter how it is that they do it. It says in Romans that it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. So, it's not that the power of God is active in our, in our method and not in the others. It's just that our lead is the power of God in our method. We're saying we are leading by, we're leading with a demonstration of God's power. <clears throat> the second misconception, I've already said it, is that power evangelism is only for strangers. If it is easier for you to pray for your neighbors or to pray for your family members, start there. But you know, our ultimate goal is that God could use us wherever we are. That's my goal. I want God to know that if there is anyone in my vicinity who he wants to bless, I am ready and available to be used by him. And then this uh, last misconception, um, it's not up on the screen, but it's that evangelism is primarily a duty for Christians. It's like, hey, if you decide to follow Jesus, we didn't tell you at the beginning, but this is, what you, this is something you got to do. It's like signing up for a job and, you know, you love the interview, it's great, but then you show up and they're like, oh yeah, by the way, you have to do this for the first couple hours every day. Like, what? I didn't want to, I didn't sign up for this. Anyone ever felt before when you, after became a Christian, you heard about, hey, Christians do evangelism. You're like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> I'm an introvert, so I hate, evangelism is scary. Huh. But evangelism is, it's not just a duty that Christians have to do. Um, 
I was reading this passage out of Mark 10 recently. Let me read it for you. It's not going to be on the screen. Mark 10, verses 29 through 30 30 say this. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. This first confused me for the first time I read it. New Christian, I read it, I'm like, okay, so is he saying that if I'm married and have kids and have a family in America, but I leave America to go to Brazil, that I will get new brothers and sisters and a new wife and new parents and new house? And I was like, that doesn't really seem, I don't want to be a part of that. And then I read a little bit further on in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 5, where Paul writes, anyone who does not provide the needs for their family members has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's like, okay, these don't really seem to line up. And so then I was like, well, maybe he's talking about spiritual brothers and sisters and spiritual parents and a spiritual wife, whatever that looks like. Um, And that doesn't really seem to make too much sense either. Here's what I think he's talking about. Every single person in here has got some immediate priorities in your daily life. You might have a marriage, you might have kids, you might have a career, you might have a house or a place that you stay. You might have land, you might have a job. And those are priorities. Scripture is clear that we are to steward those well. But what I think this verse is saying is that when we take time in our day, when we take time in our week to shift our focus from our immediate needs and our immediate priorities, and we look out to the needs of people who are not in kind of like our inner circle, that that actually blesses our marriage. You see, we are designed to be outward-focused people. When you join the kingdom of God and Jesus came to reside in you, part of you now is a person who is designed to be outwardly focused. And when we aren't being outwardly focused, that's when stagnation starts to happen in our lives. You see, imagine that there's a pool of water and there's a stream that's leading into the pool of water and a stream that's leading out. While that is happening, that water is the purest and the healthiest it's gonna be. I drink that water. I mean, as long as it's not attached to the Ohio River in any way. But I drink that water, okay? What happens when water continues to flow in but stops flowing out? Well, first leaves land and they circulate and then you've got dead bugs. And then eventually water stops coming in because the water has risen and so no longer is water able to come in. It's kind of, and then it's stagnant. And have you ever seen like the murkiest, greenest pond ever where the water's just been there for like years? That's what happens in the life of a Christian when we, for too long, are not being outwardly focused. When we get so focused and stuck on our own needs and our own priorities, we stagnate. And so if you 
are, if you've ever felt or if you're feeling now like, I wonder why I'm not as passionate for God as I used to be. I wonder why I'm not as hungry for God as I used to be. Might I suggest to you that actually looking in and asking yourself that question isn't the answer. The answer is to look out and be like, how can I meet the needs of others? How can I bless others? How can I love on others who are not in my immediate circumstances? Now, I do want to say that I know some of you in this room, there is so much going on in your life right now between perhaps a marriage and kids and careers and um, and immediate family members, and there's so much going on right here that you feel overwhelmed, like you're barely getting up for air with your immediate priorities, and you're like, how the heck can I make time to focus on people that aren't even involved in this? And I don't have an easy answer for you. I just want to recognize that, man, for some of you, the idea of even five minutes a day loving on someone outside and spending time doing something like that is hard to imagine, that's you, I don't have an easy answer, but I do want to tell you that um, beginning the process of getting there and draining the pond is asking God, God, like, I don't know what to do. What should I do? And he will be faithful to give you your next step and your next step and your next step, no matter what your home life or your situation looks like. When we sacrifice our own needs for the needs of those outside of our sphere. We are acting heroically. That is the foundation of heroism. And so I want to encourage everyone in here, be thinking about what does it look like in your life to go from here to here? So worship team, I invite you to come back out. Ushers, you can come forward. If you happen to be on the most leftern side of your row of chairs, did you guys hear that? Um, there's a basket right below your chair. If you wouldn't mind picking it up and passing it, that'd be amazing. If this is your very first time here, or if you're newer, um, please feel free just to pass that basket on by. This, this uh, time of giving is for those that call Vineyard Northwest their home. And so, can I just pray for you guys before we go into worship? Holy Spirit, we invite your presence in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, for all that you're doing in and through us. And we just say, God, we want to be pipes for your presence, not pans. We want you to flow through us, not to pull up and stay in us. So would you come and reveal yourself to us in Jesus' name? down front for worship if you like.